So before I uh, go into the topic, I just want to welcome you, the audience. Thank you as always for coming uh, into the room. I'm joined with my wonderful friend and an amazing community builder. They call her the doctor of emotions, Dr. Renee. I'd love you to introduce yourself to everyone and thank you for being here. Thank you, Johnny, and good afternoon to you. Good morning, everyone. Good evening, wherever you are. My name is Dr. Renee Moudre. I'm an associate professor of educational psychology at the University of Akron in Ohio in the U.S. I'm also the owner and founder of Transcendent Heart Coaching, in which I work with individuals and families, helping them to renegotiate a new relationship with their emotions. And I have been uh, researching this topic and working in the field of mood, mental and emotional well-being for over 24 years now. So I'm really excited to have this conversation with you today, Johnny. Back to you. Thank you so much, Dr. Rene. Great person on this app. I'm going to ask my first question. Do you feel fresh and revitalized and not burnt out? Mm -hmm. For this room. <laughs> I, I feel really good today. I do. I can't say because I'm such an honest individual. I can't say that I don't go through uh, ebbs and flows of definitely feeling a bit more exhausted at times, but I feel pretty damn good. So thank you for having You're me. You're most welcome. So we're talking today about how burnout affects your work relationships and your love life. And it's such an important so uh, subject, especially in the world that we live in where we feel like we're going 100 miles per hour. There's people that talk about the rat race and being on a, a hamster on a treadmill in terms of Monday goes to Sunday and then you feel like where has the week has gone. So let's first define what is burnout. So most of us have come across the term or heard this term or have experienced it. Maybe some not knowing that they're actually experiencing it. But the actual definition of burnout is a response to excessive and prolonged type of stress. It might be categorized in terms of work-related stress or it might other types of aspects of stress. But it's usually it, the kind of characteristics of it is like with exhaustion. You can feel, oh, I feel so tired. You feel less engaged. You feel less effective, especially in the world of work and, and in jobs. And then that has a... That has a, uh, a knock-on effect when it comes to your personal life because your personal life and your professional life is so interconnected. If you feel burnout, if you feel like you, you just feel so tired and you just don't have that kind of get up and go or you feel like the thought of going into work, it just almost feels you feel, uh, exhausted before actually entering into the office or turning on your laptop or you feel so lethargic. And then you can bring that into your relationship. And it's often caused by things like where there's an overworking scenario where you're working extremely long hours or you're going at 100 miles per hour where you feel like you're constantly at your optimal peak where you're working and working and working, but you're not resting and you're not allowing those periods of time where you can be re-energized. So it can leave us feeling very spent. So what are the signs? What are the signs of burnout? So I'm going to ask this to Dr. Rene. What kind of physical signs or red flags will someone experience if they're going through if they're going through burnout? Wow, oh, great question. And I'm glad you asked this. And I'm probably going to come from a different side of this because we know the typical symptoms and signs. We know that many people can become tired, lethargic, even appear exhausted at times, experience several different levels of mood swings, those kinds of things. We know that there are several phases of burnout from the basic one where we even start to be comedic at times about 
the fact that we're feeling burnt out and we go, oh, I'm working so many hours and I'm, I'm making the money, I'm doing this, I'm doing that. It's like we romanticize the burnout at first and then it really starts to set in. And there are these phases where we start to really feel as though we're not able to get ourselves out of that. That's where we get into the chronic stress phase and also to the habitual phase where maybe even we start going back into these cycles. So I'm glad that you asked it because one of the things that's really important, and I do this with families as well when we're looking at children and how they exhibit stress, adults exhibit emotional relational fatigue, exhaustion, and burnout in various ways. And often, the key characteristic is when one does not appear to be oneself. This is really important. Again, not everyone's going to act out in sleepiness, tiredness, lethargy. Some people may actually exhibit mood swings to the higher selves. So what I call the heavy emotions. This could be irritation, frustration. This can be very common for men and for boys. We can see that on that side. We can also see escalated anger at times. We can see a lot of different things. People having a shorter fuse. As we've noticed from the pandemic, I think we're all very much experiencing a level of emotional exhaustion and somewhat burnout and fatigue to that degree where we're seeing a lot of short fuses. People just getting really irritated and frustrated at things that they normally wouldn't or they are just losing their peace with things a little bit more quickly. So I would say there's a lot. And one of the important things is noticing again, one is different than one usually is. One is expressing verbally differently. One might be not expressing. They might be going within when they're typically um, a very talkative person. That's a key sign for me. My support team knows to kick in if they say, oh, I haven't heard from her in a while. She's absent. Um, she's not she doesn't uh, talk as much or seems more quiet. That's a big one for me. And then also in relationships, one could actually try to engage in conflict with their loved ones because they're trying to externalize the heaviness of the feeling inside. They don't quite know how to process it, sit with it, be patient with it. It makes one anxious and uneasy. So there might even be an escalation in conflict, arguments, those kinds of things that aren't purposeful, but definitely are more of a way to reduce that stress that's happening on the inside of oneself and push it outside and create a different kind of conflict that one feels more likely to resolve. So there's a whole bunch here, Johnny, but I just wanted to lay that on the table, see what your thoughts are. Back to you. Yeah, absolutely fascinating. And I like the way you've broke it down. And from my research of it as well, the, the, there, was, the, there is those five stages of burnout, the honeymoon, which is like a honeymoon phase in a marriage, right, Dr. Renee, where people go into a venture or a task or a business, you, you, you've got like boundless amounts of energy and optimism. And then suddenly you start to feel some stresses coming in. It's the beginning part of it. And then the next stage is the onset of stress phase, which eventually means that honeymoon phase starts to dwindle and you begin to experience more in-depth levels of stress. And I like to uh, touch upon your point of the chronic stress phase. Is it the case then that people ignore those first two stages and don't reach out to their support mechanisms or, or outlets, and they've allowed the the whole problem to start to get out of control, where he's going to a more from an acute to a chronic phase. If you could talk about that, Doctor Renee. 
Sure, absolutely. Yes, that can definitely be the situation. Many of us who, I will just speak for myself personally, I grew up very hyper-masculine in the career world, working in a predominantly male field, very rigorous, competitive, again, one in which it was often frowned upon if we were thinking about having children, what have you, days long gone, thankfully. Again, still reflecting on that, I became this very assertive, hyper-masculine sort of personality in the way that I approached a lot of things, including my own health and well-being. And so what I would often do is say, I've got this, I can figure this out. Because as we know from Dr. Carol Dweck and her wonderful research that's been around for over, my goodness, it has to be almost 50 years now. And what she really demonstrated to us was that some individuals see it as a limitation, as a lack, if they're not able to do everything themselves, or if the thought and the solutions and the problem orientation doesn't come to oneself. If I have to step outside and seek for help, it indicates that I am not equipped fully on my own to be able to do this. And we know with all the research we've been studying, that's not the healthiest way to approach things, but it is still a mindset that many people have. And again, when that chronic stress shows up, they're like, oh, I got this, I'll go work out. Exercise is wonderful, but exercise alone is not going to change an emotional and a mental pattern, right? It'll just make you feel better within your body over time, but it needs additional cognitive, other types of support to help you change the way you approach things, you think about things, the way that you process stress. So people often feel as though they are a failure, they feel that they're limited, they feel they're helpless if they're not figuring it out on their own. So they'll often bypass those initial phases first. But they they do tend to notice them, but they think that they should handle them on their own. Then there's another approach here where people who are cognizant and aware and do reach out for help, but have toxic support mechanisms around them who believe, oh, they'll start cheering you on. You got this. Just figure this out. You're tough. You're strong. You got this. And that really becomes very toxic because it's not in alignment with one's intrinsic notion, which was, I want to seek for help. So the third camp of people who can move around that toxic happiness and those types of emotions and still seek support are often the ones who do very well. But it's difficult because we all want to do by ourselves. We all want to figure this out, but we all have toxic members around us very close too, who tend to create that barrier for us. So it means that we have to be able to transcend several layers of support in order to actually get to the help that we're really looking for. So I'm not surprised that so many people actually fall into that chronic stress phase, Johnny. Yeah, it's absolutely fascinating. And I can relate to that because it sometimes is really hard, Dr. Renault, if you do have some toxicity and it's really close and up and personal in terms of it could be a mum, it could be a, your dad or really close members. And I'm half Iranian, half British, and we're taught to you know, that family is the be all and end all. And you have to sometimes make some real tough decisions because I often say in life, you want to surround yourself with people that raise you up rather than bring you down. And it might be looking straight in front of you in the mirror. And it might be the actual immediate nuclear circle, which will contribute to that chronic stress phase. And because if you're not having positive outlets and you're not having outlets that alleviate that uh, sense of stress and actually contributing or adding to it, you're going on the realms of hitting burnout phase. 
How would someone know that they're in a chronic stress phase? Is it a habitual everyday process, these feelings that we described in terms of the red flags that you might be experiencing burnout or just, uh, about to experience burnout? If you could talk a little bit more about what would one expect from a chronic stress phase? Oh, great question. And chronic stress and, and the habitual phase have a gray area between the two. So it can get a little bit muddied. But I will say in the chronic phase, this is where we start to really manifest the physiological reactions on a more regular uh, basis, frequency. We notice them. Other people notice them at times. We just don't feel well. And it could be more in the body. It could be more in the mind. It could be a combination of a lot of things. People are commenting, we're even feeling really at the point of starting to feel helpless, hopeless, starting to notice that there are things that we really have to change. And whether or not we believe that we can do that is a whole other story. But I think that when the habitual phase kicks in, this is where we've lost our ability to self-regulate. This is where we really start to find ourselves in those neurobiological feedback loops that we talk a lot about here in Clubhouse, where we don't even recognize that point that we get sucked into something and we just start spiraling. It's like being the hamster on the wheel and we just don't even catch ourselves in the level of negative vernacular that we use on a regular basis. So for example, if my clients say to me, oh my God, I'm so tired today. I remember Oprah, she said, I'm looking for my second wind. I can't wait till my second wind shows up today. What a different way that is. And energetically to, to be able to say, I'm, I am optimistic that this will shift, my energy will improve, and I look forward to that versus I'm really exhausted. And so again, we often don't recognize when we get into the habitual loop that we are actually talking very toxically to ourselves. People are also very in that romanticizing of the burnout as though this is something we're all supposed to be and do. No, we're not supposed to be here to burn out. We're here to live the best possible lives that we can and keeping our bodies, our minds, our hearts, our spirits healthy. So when we're finding that we're more accepting of these things as though they're part of our normal everyday thing, as you mentioned, Johnny, that's where we're starting to move into that habitual phase from the chronic stress phase and starting to lose our capacity to self-regulate. And that really takes a lot of intervention. And I certainly am willing to talk about how we come to know these different parts of ourselves so that we can start to recognize when those patterns happen. But I just want to pause there and see what you want to talk about, Johnny. Yeah, I think I, I love that. And let's, let's, let's move into that. Because it's so true what you said, all, all the points that you just elaborated there. Um, and once we're in that chronic stress phase, I would guess if you have a traffic light system, we're at amber. And now we're moving into red, which is the burnout phase. So can we talk a bit more now? We've gone past the chronic stress phase. We're actually in the red zone of burnout and how that would feel and the ramifications. Yeah, absolutely. And it'll feel different for everyone. Again, we know within the first 48 hours of us being born, our temperament is pretty solid. And it doesn't mean that we don't change behaviorally and learn how to adjust ourselves behaviorally for the different 
experiences that we have throughout the course of our lives. But genetically, deep within ourselves, we know that our temperament is pretty rooted. And so if I have a propensity toward nervousness, I can learn to work through how nervousness feels and what nervousness is, my awareness of nervousness. But biochemically, I may still have that first initial reaction right away. And I do. That's, that is the truth for me. I'm very brave, courageous. I often approach things versus avoid. But at the same time, I still feel that jittery, oh shit, kind of thing happen inside of my stomach. How am I going to do this? How am I going to get out of this? Oh my God, I'm overwhelmed. Even though I've been through something 5,000 times, I still have that initial reaction that I feel overwhelmed. And so some of us are more hardwired, as we know, and I'm not a neuropsychologist, so I'm not going to even try to pretend and play one on TV up here. But the beautiful part of that is, even though we're wired for certain things, in the awareness, which is so huge, and I see our beautiful Avi here today, and she talks a lot about emotional awareness, that's a big piece, is recognizing the pattern. And so when we lose that ability to feel that in our bodies anymore, to notice the shifting. It's almost like, I, I know I'm showing my age up here, but the first car I ever learned how to drive in was a stick shift. And I remember grinding those gears at first until you learned the rhythm of that and you felt that and it was really smooth just to be able to drive like that. And that's what emotions want to do. But unfortunately in burnout, it starts to get a little bit more chaotic, not as smooth. And so we move from one frequency to the next without even realizing it. And our body doesn't send as many signals as it once did. It just starts to move into that unhealthiness. And we start to notice that we just feel really lethargic, tired, angry, irritated, losing our emotions more quickly into that phase. But it all has a lot more to do with the self-regulatory process. So that's why I was saying, Johnny, it's so important to understand the dimensions of self and knowing that there are pieces of me that I know, there are pieces of me I don't know on a regular basis. I have to be open to feedback. I have to be open to communicating with people to in enlarge that portion of self that becomes known to me and to others. And so in the burnout phase is when we lose that sense of capacity to recognize what the self needs and desires. And we create this alter self for ourselves that says, oh, this is just how it is. This is just how life is. I'm supposed to run amok and be exhausted and tired and moody and hurry up. I even hear parents, because I work in a lot of schools and teachers, always hurrying up little ones. Let's hurry. The bell's about to ring. Hurry, get your backpacks packed. It's the end of the day. Hurry, get to your bus. Hurry. This is how we create these habitual patterns so that when we are in burnout, we miss these things because they're already pre-programmed in us and we just live into the cycle and to the loop. So I hope that makes sense, Johnny. Let me know if you want me to elaborate on anything. No, I'm thoroughly loving your wisdom and expertise on this. And sometimes we can just dismiss it as well, where we feel, no, 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 I'm okay. You know, I can keep going. We have, as entrepreneurs or founders, you have this kind of Superman complex where you feel like it's okay, I, I can strive through, I can get through this, I'm a tough cookie. It's just a momentary thing. It's just a period of time that I'm going through. And that is, is dangerous. And I would say in terms of telltale signs, from a work perspective, if you're thinking, have I got burnout? There's five. One is 
you just can't get excited about your work anymore. You really can't. You just lack interest or enthusiasm about what you're doing. You try, but each time it's just not shit. That's the first sign. The second sign is you just stop putting in the effort. So you're looking at your laptop maybe and you're just staring at it and you find that maybe two or three, four hours has gone. And actually you haven't put much effort into any of the tasks or the deadlines you have or the stuff that you need to do. And that is a second classic uh, telltale sign when it comes to burnout in the place of work. Number three is that your actual performance is suffering. So as you might expect, the more you're disinterested on a daily basis, that builds up and builds up. And guess what? It leads to poor performance because people who are burnt out simply don't care enough to do things well. And that's really number four. You're just totally exhausted. We, we spoke about this earlier, Dr. Renee. You just got this fatigue. This, and you feel like, why? Why have I got this fatigue all the time? And you try to check out, maybe go to the doctors, do a blood test. Nothing's wrong, which is a good thing. But you're still tired. You've still got this overall sense of exhaustion. And that is an important telltale sign because you're not only dealing with a lack of energy physically, but you, you can also feel totally emotionally depleted and drained and the last aspect is that you're actually dealing with physical ailments and that mentions the stuff that we spoke about in terms of maybe you have sleepless nights or you're getting headaches or heart palpitations so i now want to move on after the telltale signs of this burnout phase how does this impact our working relationships and then impact maybe our love life in terms of our personal uh, relationships. Over this is what I was waiting for because yeah, as a social psychologist, yeah. <laughs> yeah, this is my jam. Now, I, I love this because I have studied human behavior, performance, and particularly relational uh, dimensions of parents and children, first and foremost, but and really aiding families to understand where they miss these pitfalls, where they miss these obvious signs that really do show themselves. Because when we all get down to it, at the end of the day, we're like, yes, I did notice that she wasn't quite herself. And yes, I did notice she was not really as calm and patient as she normally is, or she wasn't paying her bills, or there's many people who, when they experience burnout, it isn't that they don't care. And that's the one thing that I want us to be very sensitive to. Individuals care greatly. They often just can't find the solutions. They don't know what to do, or they move from that chronic to that habitual phase. They lose that capacity again to feel when that enormous thing is shifting for them. And so they can find that they just aren't following through on their tasks, like you mentioned, Johnny, they're not paying their bills, they're showing up late to things. And these types of things start to greatly impact. So if we look at the first one, which you said about the work relationships, this is important. Because again, we take for granted in our work communities, we have jobs and people become very self-regulated at their job. They know how to do it, even if they're experiencing mental, emotional, and physical pain. Many people just know how to cover it up. When I was going through COVID, I remember somebody here on, on the app saying to me, I couldn't even tell that you were sick. And I felt like crap. And I was like, how does no one hear my voice? I didn't even sound normal to myself. But when I listened to the replay, 
it, it did. I think the app has a great way in sound quality and improved my overall voice, but also people just get used to you being a certain way that they miss those little subtle cues. And so in our work environments, we have to begin to become more aware of our coworkers. And as a chief emotions officer, I will say that this is important to me, that we learn to really ask, check in, even if we're busy ourselves every day, my besties and I, we voice memo each other every morning. How are you? What's going on with your day today? We check in every single day really quickly instead of trying to get on a phone and have a long conversation. And so when we have time, we'll respond. So that keeps that connection. And I think in the office, if we're still in, in traditional offices, we can do that. But also, we have to look at how people are managing their time. Now, I'm habitually late regardless, but as I was experiencing really high levels of burnout a couple points in my career, I did start to notice that I was later than normal because I just couldn't seem to keep track of time. I would get lost in something or I would get that burst of energy finally where I could get something done. And then I wanted to stay there and not lose that. And so I would end up being late. And of course, this upset and frustrated some of my coworkers, rightfully. But then the horrible part was I felt worse about what I was doing, which led me then to retreat and not be as present and involved with people. So in the work environment, we have to look for these shifts in behavior. People aren't just trying to piss you off. People often just aren't able to regulate their day-to-day -day sort of things. And now, thank goodness, in human resources, many um, corporations and institutions and facilities and educational places are instituting social and emotional mechanisms and competencies for their employees and have individuals like chief emotions officers and other individuals that are aiding people and training them in how to identify some of these things. So that's a big thing at work that I think we notice time management, how people are interacting. If we're noticing that we're feeling more frustrated with people, they're not completing their projects. Um, Another thing is executive function. Executive function is greatly impacted with high levels of stress. So we notice that within the working memory, we have what's called the central executive, and that place gets bogged down greatly when anxiety is high, breath is very um, negative in the way that there's more just letting out breath versus actually breathing in breath, right? The inhale is really struggling. And we don't even notice that. We carry around these high levels of stress, but this impacts our capacity to remember. It impacts our capacity in which to process and encode information. And more importantly, it impacts our ability to retrieve it. So we're probably very forgetful, falling through the cracks on the small things. All of those types of things can be really big. Now, I know I haven't even talked about romantic relationships, so I'll pause there for you, Johnny, and see what feedback you have, and then we can always pick back up. Yeah. Um... I was just listening intensely to what you were saying and welcome to have you on stage and also my great friend Robert Hanna in the audience followed by speakers. And I think the relationship side is so important because when you are burnt out or you're just about hitting that red zone of burnout, I don't know about you, Dr. Renee, people either become really withdrawn or they become very snappy very short and because maybe they're suffering from insomnia, lack of sleep because of the fact that they've got this sense of restlessness where they feel just depleted. So from a work relationship perspective where it's all about the team, there's no I in team, 
and we're in the era of collaborations more than ever before, then unless the other person or the team members or your boss knows something of which is going on with you, you're going to appear as someone who's going to be disengaged, disinterested, obstructive, rude, causing problems and issues. And that's going to cause a vicious cycle in terms of breakdown of relationships at work, which is then going to add and more pressure to the burnout that you're suffering and more pressure to you as an individual. And it's just going to blow up more and more. So before we go into the romantic side, what would be the best strategy in that scenario that one could use in, in, from a relationships context within the world of work, as I've just asked? There's a lot. And I think, again, what's really important is getting to know your coworkers. We take for granted that we know one another, but do we really? Do we really? And how much does each institution allow for the capacity in which to know one another? I think I've always worked in the field of education, higher ed, P12. Uh, teachers tend to be very social, often hang out with one another outside of school. We're very emotional beings, which leads us into the profession in the first place. So we tend to have, I think, a greater propensity toward higher levels of emotional intelligence naturally, just by being drawn. Now, not all teachers, but most tend to have this capacity. So we're very in tuned with these things, but other types of professions may not lend itself to that. And so it might require a bit more training, I think, whether in the onboarding, talking about emotional well-being and mental health and how we can help one another, I think it's important to do really fun social things together in our work environment so that we have the capacity in which to know each other instead of always being serious and working through that. But I think that there's moments of check-ins. We can do these types of check-ins with our team. We have a team manager often. I do that as well for faculty where how's everybody doing? How are we just feeling? Being open. My, I have one of the greatest directors now that I work for. So she's always asking us, how are we all feeling? Is this too much for us? I know we have to do one more meeting, but do you think this will just be too much? Should we just do it online instead of coming in? She's very open and she's open emotionally as well. So in her emotionality, we've grown to feel freer in sharing and expressing ours. So I think there's great modeling that has to happen from people in the work environment to so that others feel safe. Like you mentioned, Johnny, a lot in your rooms about the cultural norms. And many of us come from, and I'm not just talking race and ethnicity and culture, but culture encompasses everything in which we were raised to believe in a sense of who I am. And so that could be urban culture, that could be gender culture, that could be a lot of things, sexual orientation and so on. So all of these different cultural dimensions of self also impact our ability to feel comfortable even approaching something like this. Some people feel this is taboo. I wouldn't talk about this with someone because that's just not what I should be doing. This is for a therapist to talk about, or this is for their closest people to talk about. So there's walls that we have to break down still in this work of mental and emotional well-being in the work environment. So we have to allow people a freedom to be able to feel safe in that. And so we have to clearly identify these types of things as well. So conversations are so important. But I think good modeling, great conversations, peer support, checking in. Also, we could create some checklists for our employees about what are typical places that 
previous employees or even current employees have felt higher levels of stress in this particular profession. And might these be little, like you said, the little magenta colored areas that we might start to check in or the yellow colored areas that we might start to check in, teaching our employees how to check in with their bodies, how to take those brain breaks from time to time throughout the day. I think all of those things can be really good. And we're, all, we're already doing this in education. We've been doing this for a really long time. But I think that corporate America is starting to catch up with that as well. Did that help, Johnny? I think I might have missed a piece, but I just want to check in with you. No, it was great as always, Dr. Renee. And, and I would say for anyone thinking, look at what you do as well, because there are certain sectors that have more burnout than others. And it's true. Some of which are the medical field has very high burnout. We see it here in the UK with the NHS where they're working extremely long hours under such incredible situations and pressure. Look at the whole COVID pandemic crisis, the way it stretched nurses and doctors to the brink, to the end. And there's been a hell of a lot of burnout when it comes to that industry and sector. They're spent emotionally, physically. Then you look at other sectors like the law sector, pays very well but because of the ex- extreme demands of optimal performance and long hours, that causes a lot of burnout, which lawyers have said. And uh, like I said, my friend Robert Hanna does a lot with the legal industry, and he's spoken about it with me as well. Um, and then look at fields like sales, where it's all or nothing, where it's all about results. That can cause very high levels of anxiety and nervousness all the time. And that emotional nervousness and anxiety can build up and build up to such a point that it causes burnout. And then industries like um, emergency responses or social work, where you're dealing with stressful environments and stressful situations, that can cause a lot of burnout. Or even patterns of working, nighttime, night shifts, you know, where it's all out of zinc in terms of your life. So I'm going to now move to the romantic side, and I'm going to bring both you and Abby uh, into this conversation. So feel free uh, whenever you want, Abby, after uh, Dr. Rene shares. How does this now, we've ironed out and we've gone through what is burnout the red flags of burnout the stages of burnout the type of patterns that one can experience the the ramifications from a work perspective and relationship perspective in the world of work and then the sectors that experience more burnout than others how does this now impact what goes on behind closed doors? Because, Dr. Rene, nobody knows what goes on behind closed doors. Over to you. Oh, my goodness. What a fantastic segue. And I'm so glad Avi came up here today. It's so nice to see you, my friend. And I will say this. I'm going to take it from the other side again. I like to flip things around just a tad. I want to talk from the perspective of those of us who may be with someone who is burnt out. So I want to talk as a caregiver, as a support mechanism, as the partner, a spouse, what have you. Many times the the burnout of the individual can be exacerbated in the relational dimension because we get frustrated with them. And we see that they are different. We see that they're not going through their day-to-day. Maybe they're not helping us out. Maybe they're slacking in the parenting skills. Maybe they've forgotten to pay some bills. Maybe they are drinking more heavily. Maybe they're smoking more heavily. Maybe they're having different behavioral expectations in the relationship. Whatever might be the case, what's really important here as someone who supports another is to remember that we cannot be 
100% of something to another human being and be 100% to ourselves at the same time. It's an impossibility. And so being a really good caregiver is recognizing our limitations, meaning I, if I am a, sp a spouse, a partner, I, and even being a psychologist, I will not be my partner's psychologist. That's just not part of my deal. And again, because of one, it's not healthy. The, those lines are too blurred. Do I provide mental, emotional support if asked? Of course. Do I, am I a great cheerleader? Am I a wonderful emotional partner to be with? Yes, of course. But I have to recognize that I have limitations. And so I think that we often have demands on ourselves that we should be able to solve their issue. And some people get very hurt and frustrated in their own selves because they want to help their partner. And they see that nothing they're doing is really making a huge impact. And that can strain one's sense of hope and faith in the relationship and the connection because they're missing that it might not be a relational thing. It might just be something that one person is struggling with in the connection. If we can separate ourselves for a little bit, give ourselves some space psychologically, mentally, emotionally, spiritually, and really recognize that we are a separate person from them. We cannot be held responsible for everything that they need to do, but what are we good at and what can we help this individual get to as far as support services, just conversation? I often ask the question, would you like me to provide any feedback or do you just want to have a conversation with me? Do you just need to vent? Do you just need to let out today? What do you need of me? But what's more important here in the relational part from an emotional perspective is recognizing people have emotional limitations. And if we're the type of person in our burnout that we're just venting and not what I call emotional containment, not containing some of that, it's going to really hinder those that love us. They're going to be, get, feel very heavy. And so we need to ask the question, if we are the ones who are burning out, if we are really needing support and help, I need to talk and I feel really heavy today after work. Do you have the emotional space in which to receive this? It's okay to do that. It, and it's almost essential to do that so that people are not just bombarded with one stress and emotionality, but we can create the space. And I can say to them, not right at this moment, but can I talk to you in 15 minutes? Yes, absolutely. Come back and talk to me then. Okay. And then really hold that space. And then some of us, I'm guilty, I'm raising my hand over here, but I've gotten way better in old age, I have to say. I always wanted to respond because I want to help, I want to solve, I want to fix, I want to take care of it. Now I just sit and I really just listen and the pause and just the space and let the person who is in the chronic stress or fatigue or burnout phase lead that conversation until you can tell that they have taken it as far as they can take it and then ask permission to have the conversation with them. These are really gentle ways in a relationship, gentle tactics to not feel overwhelmed by someone emotionally because we're not there to do everything for them, to ask how they want us to support them, and also to be able to follow through on that and to not bombard them. I've had people constantly want to give me advice when I, that's the last thing I really wanted right, in burnout. I just wanted to be supported. And so many times people have good intentions, but again, have toxic ways of helping other people. So does that help, Johnny? It's a lot of stuff, but I think those are the keys in, in more romantic type relationships. No, it absolutely does, Dr. Renee. And 
just the hearing and listening to you I'm just thinking about my own life and my own circumstances and things because we try to act in certain ways and be the best version of ourselves and the best type of human being but we're human first and that means we have our, our weak points and where we act sometimes not particularly nicely or we do something which is a bit selfish or is a bit blunt or is a bit crude or is a bit short-tempered because we have what's called stress and if we're going through burnout at times, who ends up suffering most out of it can be our nearest and dearest because there is this kind of issue where people do take out their frustrations and their sense of things that go wrong in their life with the people most closest to them. And if we don't communicate right and do some of the strategies that you just mentioned and, and stop thinking about our own self all the time, then that can cause some real breakdown when it comes to, to, to your own personal life, which is going to exacerbate the burnout that you're feeling in your professional life. So I'm going to keep that for the next five minutes. And I would love Dr. Renee to put up her link because she's offering so much value. And, and we want people that if you do want some, some kind of consultation or reach out to the chief emotions doctor here, she's going to add incredible value to you. And, and I just want to appreciate you and, and make sure that people do get as much out of this room as possible. So I'm going to move to Abby now who's been so patient. Thank you for waiting, Avi. What's your take on this topic in terms of burnout? And we're now moving into that kind of segue with your personal relationships and how that can be severely impacted. Hello, Johnny and the beautiful Dr. Renee. I've missed you guys. And it's been so great to listen to this conversation because even if we understand the principles of burnout, I find even at least I'll speak for myself that the reinforcement of it is really helpful for me because we get really we get really engaged with our life and what's going on and lose perspective and I feel it's all, it becomes about the next project if I can just get through this project that I'm working on for the next month if I can just get through this thing that I'm building if I can just get through this course that I'm taking, and then there'll be something else and something else. And it, it's like a never ending string of things that we put ourselves through. And if we can't have these conversations and take a breather and take a moment, pause and step back and look at it, it we will just be, as, as you said, Dr. Renee, in that hamster wheel. So thank you for even having this conversation. It's been amazing. Uh, Dr. Renee, I love the idea of any company having a chief emotions officer. I think that's the baddest thing on the planet. <laughs> like, so cool. And as we've been talking about relationships, I'm not in a relationship now, in a romantic relationship now, obviously I'm in a lot of relationships, but I've been working really hard. And I think when we're around friends and I live with my sister, I find that having that support system is really important and communicating is really important. And my poor sister for the past like six months, she's been the best, makes amazing food, like just takes care of, care of everything. But I saw this thing, Dr. Renee, on Instagram last week and it really made me think because I always think of I always think of connected relationships as relationships we have with people where we feel where we feel seen, heard and understood. And this Instagram post was feel seen, heard, understood and valued. And I feel like that was the missing piece for me because when we're going through burnout, when somebody might be supporting us, when all of this is going on, they have emotional needs too. these people, anybody who is supporting us, they are also going through their own lives. And when we don't have the capacity 
to be with them in some way and they are supporting us, then they don't feel valued. And I think that's one of the parts of it that starts to, that's one of the part of the relationship that starts to fall uh, apart. And then it's really hard when that feeling valued part is missing and then their needs aren't getting met. It, It becomes unsustainable. So I've been doing my best with within the my capacity to make that time as much as I can t- to make sure that peace is intact. And it, it is challenging. But even it was like a little light bulb for me when I saw that added piece to the feeling seen, heard and understood. And I'm wondering what your thoughts are on that. Oh, I love that. I do. And I know we, we had a chance, Avi, where we were doing a room. I can't remember what room it was, but we were talking about friends and when the friendship demands start to tip, right, toward one side, we have this friend who's very needy emotionally, mentally, what have you, but in a more habitual way than just every once in a while, as we all have that need. But I think that's important. And what really came to me when you were talking was this idea of how we don't spend enough time really helping children to develop that great great sense of self-value, right? Because what we see in adults are the toxic patterns and traits and pitfalls that really came from earlier development where I wasn't really allowed or given the space to believe in myself, to have faith in myself, to really have courage in myself. So that when I got in relationships and I felt things weren't quite where I want them to be, I still have a great sense of faith, hope, and courage in myself that I'm not catapulting myself emotionally onto my partner to be my saving grace. And I see that in friends too. And it's something that now, you know, is my predominant work that I do with clients is helping them to build that part of themselves so that they can see that they're actually requiring far more outside of themselves than they really they really require. We have this old toxic behavior that we believe another's voice is more powerful than our own. We believe that another person's opinion is stronger than our own. And we believe that someone can aid our emotionality more than we can, which is not simply not true. And so the more that we spend developing this ability to see that we are everything that we need, not in a toxic way, but in a healthy way, and be our self-healer, that often reduces the pressure we place on other people over time, so that after we contain that emotion, we can then attend to the relational dimension of it and say, okay, what part of our friendship and our romantic relationship really needs to be attended to? Or am I the one who really is creating these issues in the relationship and I can take ownership of it and actually do that work versus blaming someone else or looking to someone else to fix it? (laughs) And, And I think that's a big part with burnout. We talked about at the beginning of the room, when we're in the habitual phase, we lose many times the capacity to even feel where those shifts are happening. And so we're just spewing everything onto other people. We're, you know, demanding to to reach out to people more so than we normally do. And it really starts to become quite heavy versus looking within ourselves about what pathway should I take to self-help. So that kind of is what came up for me. So thank you, Avi. I love that, Dr. Renee. Thank you so much. Super helpful. Just love the back and forth between the two of you there. I'm just going to ask you a quick question before we get Pete into the conversation. Um, And you don't have to answer this, Abby. Have you experienced burnout? I would say here's another challenge with burnout as you asked me that question, because my, my 
desire is to say no, but I would be lying. So I, I think that unfortunately, I have built more capacity to figure out how to function in burnout. And, and that there's a way that I've been able to figure out how to integrate it, which is a little bit unhealthy. And I think I also suffer from the thing that I started with, which is this idea of oh, this is the period where this is going to happen. And after this, I'm going to rest. And then this is going to be the period that this is going to happen. And after that, I'm going to rest. So it's been particularly challenging for me the last few months. And every like sort of weekend that I'm like, ooh, I have to take a day off or I have to take, or I'm planning a trip to New York to be able to like create space for the rest that I know that I need. But I'm, I haven't, I'm not good. I am not doing it as well as I would like. And I am still trying to figure out how to do it better. Dr. Renee, I don't know if you have any help for me, but I think it's it becomes really, for me, it just is it's challenging. It's challenging. I get really into the stuff that I'm doing and I get very involved with it. And before I know it, I'm too far down the hole to be able to pull myself back up. I will take advice over here. Oh my goodness. <laughs> Johnny, I'll jump in real quick because Avi, this is exactly what we were alluding to earlier. It's when we start to almost romanticize the, as an entrepreneur, it's hard not to because we all want to be successful. And there's even the adage when you hear these high level speakers, entrepreneurial, motivational coaches in a way, you hear the word grind. And I remember when that started to shift several years ago where we went away from that idea that we have to burn our adrenals out to be successful. I hardly ever met a really successful entrepreneur who wasn't preaching like gospel. You're going to lose people in your life. You're going to lose sleep. You got to sacrifice. You're going to, you got to give up. You got to give up. Now, while that's true, I, in us, in the sense of we're going to have to work differently and we are going to have to make sacrifices, but that's true in anything. It's true in anything. And I think that when we started to buy into the, the the most toxic extreme of that, many of us started to stay up super late. Many of us would just give up a lot of things, disconnect from people versus to see that it's important that while when we work in more extraneous ways, then we need to care for ourselves in more extraneous ways too. We have to counter that. So I love what you said about starting to recognize now that I have to sort of plan in that time, really give yourself that peace time. And also recognize where in your week, do you have a heavier load? So where might it be advantageous to make sure you've got some really great self care in there at that point where your energy levels are more equipped to to actually engage with it. It's just like most people wait until they're sick in which to seek support. We don't want to keep doing that even with emotional support. We want to utilize and create a practice and utilize that practice when we're healthy and we're strong and we're in good mind. So that way, when we are low emotionally and we're starting to miss those cues that our body's sending us, it will actually enliven and awaken that so that the spiritual body, the emotional body will communicate at a louder frequency so that we'll actually catch it more easily instead of waiting until we're tired. And so a lot of people don't do that. And I think I love what you said, schedule it in, create what I call my fab five. I've talked about this many times in many rooms. And these are my five closest people that are near me in this universe. 
and I am very open and explicit with them about the role they are to play in my life to support me emotionally. And knowing who they are, I place them in different levels of extremity. Some are just there. I know I can send a quick text to you. Here's my phrase I'm going to send you. If you've got time, reach out all the way to my brother who's going to show up at my door knocking, making sure I'm showering, paying my bills, doing what I need to do if I'm in the depths because I've been in really bad burnout or I've actually had to seek medical support. Again, you want to have your support mechanisms in place as well so that people know how to communicate with you to still so you receive the the message and that they can actually help you in the way that you desire for them to help. So, I love it, Avi. Thank you for asking me. Back to you, Johnny or Avi. Oh, I just wanted to say thank you so much, Dr. Renee. I hadn't heard the Fab Five, so I'm glad that I got to hear it today. And you're right, it's about putting those systems in place. And I don't, the, the one thing that I'm doing every day is going for a walk and I'm making sure that it's somehow prioritized. And when I miss it one day, if it, it doesn't feel great. So maybe it is also just with starting small and making sure that the one thing that you need to do for your everyday is scheduled in where it's like unavoidable and then continue to ask for support. So thank you so much, Dr. Renee. And back to you. Thank you, Abby. And thank you for your vulnerability and your honesty. Abby is one of the the best people on this app to follow. She really goes deep when it comes to emotions. And that's what makes you as great as you are, because you say how it is and you're honest about your emotions. And I just love the fact of your sincerity with all that. So I appreciate you and, and wanted to acknowledge your share. Okay, Pete, I want to introduce Pete Cohen. He is a community builder, high performance coach, who's written 20 books on personal and professional development. So I'd love to hear your take on the subject, Pete. Yeah, listen, happy, beautiful day. I can only stay a few minutes. Unfortunately, I've got to jump onto a Zoom call, but this is a subject that is very dear to my heart, Johnny. I really enjoyed listening to to both of you, uh, Dr. Renee and Abby, talking because I'm definitely a burnout specialist in <clears throat> I know how to burn out. And I burnt out massively for like over 10 years. I was diagnosed with uh, chronic fatigue. I was diagnosed with ME. And I was talking about this today. There were actually times where I just didn't want to be here anymore because I just was sick and tired of feeling sick and tired. And to most people, I looked okay. I looked fine. But <clears throat> inside I was aching. And I, Johnny, you've heard me speak a number of times. I've heard you speak many times. You can probably tell I'm not short of energy. I just never knew how to manage my energy. No one ever taught me how to do that. So I'm very hyperactive. I think I was born six weeks premature. I was in a hurry to come out and I've been in a hurry ever since. So I know one speed very well and that speed is fast. And um, you know that it's a good speed, but you can't keep at that speed. And it was only through burning out and learning through a very arduous process how to take better care of myself, how to become more aware of the experience of being me. And that's why when you ask that question, how are you? Really, how are you? The essence of you, how are you? What's the experience like of being you? And I like to ask those questions. I like to ask the questions, hey, what can I do for you? What do you need? How can I help? And it's when you ask those questions that you can go deep with someone and have a real meaningful conversation. It's just that we know that a lot of the time people often don't want to really reveal the experience of being themselves. They want to keep that hidden uh, but if you don't keep it hidden, then it just keeps coming. It keeps coming up. The patterns, it keep, they keep rising. But I would love to, I'm going to have to bounce out of the room, but I would absolutely love to be involved in this conversation again. When I finished on the Zoom call, I've just got to jump on our, if the room's still on, I'll come back in. But 
Johnny, I really appreciate you and holding this space because if we don't learn to manage ourselves, we'll be a victim of a world that wants to manage us, wants to manage our attention. In fact, I, I interviewed Nir Iral, who's the author of Hooked and Indistractable the other day. What an amazing book. The opposite of uh, distraction is traction. They come from the same Latin word, trahira, which means to be pulled. It's like, what's pulling you? And, and a lot of us are being pulled away from taking care of ourselves or that self-awareness. So it's a wonderful conversation. That's why there's so many people in the room. And I'm just going to uh, hand the baton back to you, Johnny, and say, what can I do for you, my friend? Thank you so much, Pete, and such a great share. And uh, you always come from such a good place. Anyone want to chime in or what? They just heard from Pete, Dr. Rene. I would love to. I know Pete has to get going, but I... I'm so in awe of that beautiful way that you described it. No one ever taught me how to really work with my own energy. And I so agree with you. I work predominantly with children and families. And that is such a weapon for such a beautiful way of living is when I started to be able to trust my body and what it was telling me. And I didn't have to panic about that anymore. And I could say, oh, that's my nervousness. That's my anxiety. And I could put two and two together and start kicking into a practice instead of allowing that stress to just stay in my body for chronic periods of time and start to work through my breath, start to do that. My son has a breath coach. It's so nice to see him get excited for his sessions on Zoom with his breath coach and learning to breathe. for opt He does it for sports, but it's been helping him for his stress. And so I think the more that we can work with kids to really help them understand they are energetic beings and they do have the ability in which to up and down regulate these things anytime they wish, how much healthier we're all going to be in the long run. So I appreciate Hello. it. Thank you. That was so powerful what you just said there. Hello. I I've got to go now, but thank you so much. Take Hello? care. No worries, Pete. Uh, that's the <laughs> social audio for you and balancing work. <laughs> She wanted him now. Uh, Hello? Yeah, absolutely. Right now, burnout or no burnout, you're taking the Zoom. No, that was a great share. And if anyone wants to come up, feel free to raise your hand. I know Dr. Rene needs to go now, and she has put her link above uh, our heads. So please, if you've really resonated with what Dr. Rene has said, do click on the link. It, she offers so much value and she really will be someone who could be a game changer. I always say in any of our rooms or rooms that I do, you're always one relationship away from making a difference in your life. It might be an investor, it might be a business partner, it might be a coach, it might be a mentor. It might be just even a good friend. So make take that action, follow through with relationships because it's really important. Okay, Dr. Rene, do you want to have any last words? Because I'm conscious of not keeping you because I know how busy your schedule is. Oh, no, I'm okay. I'm actually good until 1 Eastern today. So it's only noon for me right now. So I'm still good to go. Good. Okay. So I'm going to ask you a question and feel free to raise your hand for anyone who wants to come and share. Is there a gender divide on bet well, between men and women in terms of either realizing burnout or doing something about burnout, Dr. Rene? Oh, this is a fantastic question. I, it's tricky. It's very tricky. Because again, when we look at things black and white, we would believe that the immediate answer would be yes. And, and that is true to some degree. But when we really pull the sheets off and really look underneath there, what we realize is that we're very similar. And but what is happening is the social constructs and, and the external world. So remember, it's so important 
as we talk in the Emotion Club all the time about balancing our inner world and our outer world, it's always this constant calibration between what that inner part knows and desires and feels, and then what the external world is saying we're allowed to know and feel and experience. And we're constantly trying to calibrate these two worlds together, when in reality, they're only one. And when we can let down that veil for a moment and say, wow, I'm really more in command with this than I think that I am. But the social world has created this belief that, again, we have this old taboo that men were less emotional than women. But those of us mothers of sons would debate you at the end of the table and will win every single time because we know our boys. We've raised them. We've seen them in their vulnerability, in their intimacy. We've seen them at their losses, in their grieving. We've seen them with their skin knees. We've seen them in all these different experiences and the most intimate parts of self where they have been open and emotional. And my son has full permission to be emotional in all of his being. So I would say that men and women are equally emotional, vulnerable, capable of feeling, and also very much going to be very even in the levels of experiencing burnout when we look at it from that particular lens. Women particularly those who work in professions that are highly emotional, often have to, what we call, this is emotion labor, often have to disguise those emotions, those feelings, those experiences, because it would get in the way of them performing their immediate duties. If they're an ER doctor, ER nurse, um, somebody who works on uh, a suicide crisis hotline, a 911 call officer, individuals like that, where you just simply can't communicate how you feel to someone right away. A customer service tends to have high emotion labor as well, where you get people with their mood swings, checking out, they're unhappy that they're not getting the sale of the day, they take it out on you, they couldn't find the product they wanted, they tell you how they feel about it, and you can't just cut back. And so that over long periods of time leads to these levels of chronic stress and eventual burnout. But some of us believe that women often have more permission to be emotional, but yet they work in higher levels of careers that tend to be emotionally inclined and aligned with other humans on a regular basis. So they actually have to disguise a lot of that and a lot of emotion labor is present. So it's very complicated data. It's really messy. It's almost like looking at adoption studies with children's behavior. Everything's 50-50, nature-nurture, gender versus social norms, all those kinds of things. But I will say the world still does provide a greater opportunity for women to be openly emotional in certain ways. Now, we know that's not true for anger, right? The minute that a woman is angry, she is scary. (laughs) So, of course, there's negative backslash at that. There's a whole bunch of debate here. But women tend to be given more permission in which to engage with levels of sadness, frustration, irritation to some extent, but not in all spaces. And men often aren't given that permission in certain spaces as well. So I think it's equally balanced as equally imbalanced. But I think, again, it depends on a lot of how we're raised, um, the safety that we feel and being able to share and to be vulnerable. I think three of us up on this stage know that we weren't always like this. We weren't as always openly expressive as we are. We didn't have all of this wisdom like we do now. And so I think there's life cycles to this, there's developmental cycles, and there's wisdom cycles that evolve over time that will shift that belief that it's such a stagnant thing of simply just being a man and a woman. Does that make sense, Johnny? It certainly does. And I love the way you broke that down. And I just I feel like even still now, 
men find it more difficult to accept. We're getting better at it, but it's, I come from a background where rightly or wrongly, you shouldn't, my dad was always like, you, you shouldn't admit to weakness because if you admit to weakness in the world of business and in the world of what's and thrust, people will prey on it and they'll use it against you. So it's almost like you bottle it up. And I think that's the worst thing you can do because the more you bottle, the more you bottle, then you'll explode. And I still feel like even though we've come a long way in many aspects, men generally find it more difficult to talk to each other about these things than say women generally. That's just my take. I don't know what you think, Dr. Renee and Abby. I just was going to say, Johnny, that when you were talking about your dad and strength, I think that we're understanding and redefining strength. And I think that's the thing that's changing the same way that, that we've in the last several years been talking about redefining success is that strength um, to me has become more, so much more about self-knowledge about sustainability, about ability to lead and create a culture, especially if we are leaders in our space, if we are running companies, about um, leading in a way that our company can be sustainable, our leadership team can be sustainable. And I think, actually, if we think about it in the way of even success in the ways of yesterday, like, how do I create this company that is going to be sustainable and make money for the you know, foreseeable future, if you don't have a leadership team that believes in the well-being of everyone who works there, there isn't going to be that because either people will go to another company or the burnout that everybody is feeling will find its way into operations of the business. So I feel as we are defining strength, we should look at what that means and really look at what is what are the benefits of having these conversations and being clear about what our human physical capacities and emotional capacities are and and what does that mean for the future of what we're creating but that that just comes to mind for me because i feel like strength is we think of strength maybe a little bit differently than before i don't do you feel that way johnny yeah i think that's great great point uh, a really great point because i think you're bang on with that the definition of it and how we've evolved has moved on a bit we're still some way off utopia if there's ever such a thing but i totally agree what do you think dr Rene? well i totally agree as well and and johnny what i really appreciated when, when you clarified that about the gender was that men don't necessarily have the the training or the belief or the feeling of safety in sharing with other men. And now we know that there are wonderful groups out in the world today, like Sacred Sons and all these other ones that are working together with the collective, you know, masculine wisdom and helping men to learn to really tap into their own essence of what that feels like inside to not, you know, feel as though they're stepping away from a healthy masculine sort of way of being by still sharing emotionally and emoting. So we know that there's emotional experience, there's emotional expression. Often men will say that they struggle with one more so than the other, but it's often not consistent. It's showing these variations in there. And I appreciate what Avi said too, because these things become pervasive ways that we start to run a business believing that this is how we'll be. I see today, and I know you've done great rooms like this, Johnny, on the great resignation and things like that, 
one of the biggest aspects was I have choices now. I don't have to burn my adrenals anymore. I don't have to stay in a place that demands me to give up my lunch because I have to fix something or finish something. I want to eat today and damn it, I'm going to eat, you know, and I'm going to find a place that's going to let me have my lunch. And I, they're not even necessarily requiring more money. They're requiring places that actually are being accepting and in tuned with their mental, emotional, and social needs, finally. And they're recognizing that there are places that are aware of this now. And so all of these things are, are greatly impacting, I think, how we're running institutions and experiences for our employees, because we know that they know better. And now that they know better, we have to do better. And these things are starting to cycle together. So this is, a, I love this exchange. This was fantastic. Thank you for asking. Yeah, such good points, uh, Dr. Rene and uh, Abby as well on that. So welcome, Mr. Morning and Damien and Brian Nicoline. Mr. Morning, what's your take on the su subject? Oh, I love what I'm hearing here. Um, definitely coming from a personal experience myself and understanding. Like someone like myself, I actually removed myself at the dating game because two sides to it that if you're dealing with someone and they're trying to do their thing and be an entrepreneur and build their dreams and their career and they're burning out and they don't know how to deal with self, but you know how to deal with self, it will cause this explosion to eventually happen. And I think someone said it earlier, people think that men are not vulnerable. And you talk to the mom, she will tell you what these vulnerabilities are. So when you think about a man having mental health, I think we as men in business, entrepreneurs, corporate America, we have to be okay and to understand that it's okay to be vulnerable. And just having it for someone like myself, giving myself permission to say it's okay to be vulnerable. I have seen things happen in my career on a different level because of that, allowing myself that permission. So when you think about the importance of it, I think whether you're a male or a female, you have to think from the perspective of what am I committing to and what am I accountable for with self? And one thing I believe in, and I've often tell a lot of my mentees that no journey on this world, nothing materialistic, it doesn't matter. It's more important than your personal journey, taking care of yourself day to day. And if you wake up some mornings and you just don't feel like touching the keyboard and that's how you feel, just step away. Right. Because in reality, you're not going to get a lot done due to your brain being fogged and not being able to push forward. And I land here when I think about someone said uh, wisdom. When you think about wisdom, I think us as humans, we have to stop treating situations in our careers and personal life as bad or good and look at it as an experience. And uh, what's this lesson that I'm learning and how does it make me as a better person, as an individual, as a person? better in my personal journey. And I think those things remove a lot off of you as an individual because you're not beating yourself up as much. And I land there with the key thing about self-awareness. I read a book um, about Russia and it taught me like the total importance of becoming oneness with yourself. And it's one of the best books you'll ever read. I think it should be the human Bible because I feel like it's multiple sides to life. And the one that we have buried due to social constructs is our self-awareness side. And I'll land there. 
Uh, thank you so much for that share, Mr. Morning. Really appreciate that. Dr. Rene, did you want to chime in at all before I go to Of course I do. And Mr. Morning, thank you so much for all of that. There, there were so many beautiful golden nuggets in that. And I think what's really significant is that notion of recognizing, again, the limitation, one of the greatest parts of emotional intelligence, right? The highest level of the, or dimension of emotional intelligence is the capacity to sit in reverence of another's emotionality without being triggered in one's own. It, it's difficult. It's one of those ones, it's like the greatest level of self-actualization. You know, Will we ever reach that in this lifetime? Probably not. We constantly have to keep reminding ourselves, well, okay, someone's speaking and he's just sharing how he feels, but I'm feeling really uncomfortable in this moment. Okay, so I'm in awareness. Okay, now I'm going to engage in, in some management techniques and I'm going to downregulate myself and I'm going to increase my attention. Again, reminding myself this isn't about me. This is someone sharing their emotionality in the workforce and I'm safe and I'm comfortable. And now I'm in the reciprocal relational part and then I'm feeling good with this person, but yet I'm triggered again because I remember something from my past. There's all these things that happen in the workforce and in relationships emotionally. And so when we're working with someone or being with someone who is in a burnt out state or in a high chronic stress state, it's so easy to get triggered and to be reminded of when one was weak and when didn't feel well or was limited, all these feelings come up. And so if we can just take that step back, utilizing wisdom, which is i.e. crystallized intelligence, right? That ability to be able to say, I know what this is and I know why this is happening. It doesn't stop it from happening necessarily in its immediacy, but it stops the intensity of it and reminds us that we have the capacity to be with that without having to run away from it. And burnout is less likely to ever land foot and embed in us if we're in a constant state of awareness and acceptance, and we can roll with that without being chronically fearful and without skills. So I'll land it there as well. So back to you, Johnny. Thank you, Mr. Morning. Thank you, Dr. Renee, and thank you, uh, Mr. Morning. Next up, Damien, over to you. Thank you for having me, Johnny, uh, and everybody else on stage. Gosh, I, I had a lot to say about burnout, but then you brought up this males being able to be expressive and emotional awareness and all those things. I, I grew up, I was lucky. I'm a man who is raised by four women. And so from the very early ages, I was taught to express myself. And I was taught that there's going to be space for my emotions and how I'm feeling. And there was going to be time given to what I was going through. So I grew up with in a lot of ways, I think the ideal in that area of life, but the challenge is that the rest of our society doesn't fully operate that way. And so what I found is that you have this very tricky balance between it being acceptable for a man to express what they're going through emotionally. And the man, I believe, needs to be aware of the fact that a lot of other adults in this day and age don't necessarily know how to respond to that. They understand that it should be okay, but they don't know the next steps to take. So I think a huge part of avoiding, uh, as you were just talking about those triggers, a huge part of avoiding burnout, a huge part of avoiding those pitfalls in life is doing your best to eradicate expectation. I think inherently we have this idea that because I'm feeling something, then somebody else needs to empathize with us or needs to 
do something in, in response to it to make us feel better. But that's not the case. The truth is that we should all be striving for, I don't really like should. The truth is that I am currently attempting to strive for an, an aspect of life where I get to be emotionally expressive without the expectation of a response from anyone. And until there are generations of men who have grown up being open and aware of how they're feeling, until there are generations of women and non-binary who are there to support the men while they're going through those emotional moments of chaos, I think that the safest route is to proceed with a deep knowing of self, a release of expectations of others, and a focus on the ways you can pause in your life, do the breath work, do the working out, the time in nature, finding those few confidants to release these things to. You'll set yourself up for an easier flow of life where it's less about it's less about what people respond with and how you can get supported and more about how you can regulate yourself. And I think that's, that's what I, I believe I'm on a path towards. Not quite there yet, but working on it. Thanks for letting me share. Thank you so much for that share. And whenever I hear you, it's always gold, Damien, so I appreciate you. Dr. Rene, did you want to chime in before I go to Brian? I do. I just want to say, Damien, what you just shared is exactly why you're one of my favorite people on this app. Every time I've heard you speak, I, I just say hallelujah to your mother. And <laughs> and I'm making an assumption there that it was your mom. But and also to to the way that the community supported you in developing. But I think what you just said is absolutely golden. And that balancing of the inner and the external world, that sometimes our inner world has demands and needs and desires, but the external world isn't going to always adhere to them. And so the only place left is within ourselves to be able to do that. And, and we have to be able to equip ourselves with that capacity in which to engage with that energy. Otherwise, we feel not valued, not heard, not experienced. And then we start to doubt our own sense of worth. And that's the last thing we, that we want for individuals. So this is a self journey, as much as it is a relational piece, but without the self piece, there can be no relational piece. So I'm so glad that you shared that. And I always adore hearing you. So thank you, Damien. Back to you, John. Thank you so much, Dr. Rene. Next up, we got Brian, you've got the floor. Thanks, Johnny. Appreciate it. Hello, Dr. Rene. Great share, by the way, Damien. Love that. So many beautiful points that you brought up. I remember working a bunch of jobs in my mid-20s up until the point that I decided to start my own gig. And I didn't realize at that point that it's great to be ambitious, but if it comes at the cost of your physical and psychological health, then that's something we need to think about as far as prioritizing our time and how we want to distribute our time and energy to balance out certain aspects of our life to find that holistic approach to our well-being. What happened is I experienced burned up, uh, I experienced burning out in such a way where it got the better of me. I destroyed my relationships around me. I was blessed with an angel, had almost the perfect life in the eyes of many other people, but I just realized that my priorities were misplaced. And I was just so focused on trying to chase wealth and get into that league of millionaires and billionaires, scale companies and have exits and all that kind of stuff. But it came at the cost of my peace of mind and all the relationships around me. So I think it's really important to be mindful about our life choices and how we really distribute our time and energy, as I mentioned earlier. And I think that comes with self-awareness. When we're able to keep a track of our vibrational frequency, and if we are in the state of constant worry, anxiety, or apathy, 
it keeps you from getting into flow state. And I've been researching flow state because I think a lot of artists and a lot of people are trying to adopt that model of trying to work because it comes with ease, it comes with control, it comes with relaxation. And that's the flow of life that we should all strive to be in because that's the natural way of how it's meant to be versus how many of us think that it's all about hard work, it's all about trying to get ahead in the right race and do the best that we can because it is a fierce competitive world out there. I don't blame people when they're all caught up trying to do the the best they possibly can. But again, to prioritize our own health and what we're doing and at what cost all of that is coming is something we need to take a hard look at and decide. Because when I think about balance, it's all about your family, it's about your marriage, it's about your travel, it's your finances, your friends, your health, your diet, your spiritual life. Even in the workplace, it could be about your leadership skills and your relationships with your colleagues and mentors and how creative you are. Is that expanding or is that being contracted based on the kind of energy you hold inside of you? And this is something that I've started to pay a lot more attention to. A lot of people think that money can bring you happiness, but I've realized the hard way that it's the other way around. It's when we start to live in a state of abundance and start to be in the state of peace and joy money will come. There's no way you can miss it. So yeah, in the interest of time, I'm going to keep my share shot. That's it for me. Thank you so much for that share, Brian. Really appreciate you. And he makes so many pertinent points there. Thank you, Johnny. I love this conversation. You guys, of course, I have a personal story with burnout because who hasn't, but that will keep. That was this one thing that someone just texted me to remind me of. And here's the thing. I used to be in a relationship with someone who was in full burnout and who got through it. And it was, we got through it with all the tips you guys gave yes to everything. But guess what he said afterwards? He said, when at work, I had to admit because I'd been absent, why I was absent. I had to admit that I had been in a burnout, which was hard for him. He said, then everybody in the office started telling me about their burnout. Like they were finally opening up like I had given them permission to start this conversation because they knew I wasn't going to judge them. And I thought that was so powerful. Does it take that to make people comfortable with just saying how they feel? I'm really happy that you're doing this conversation today. Thank you. Thank you so much, Nicolene. And, and thank you. I always love hearing your voice and all the great work that you and Abby are doing on this app. So I want to thank everyone for sharing. And I know it can be difficult at times when you're you know, leaving yourself exposed and vulnerable, but this is what this magic of Clubhouse is about, that sense of community, the, the things that we can ordinarily feel like we can't share, we do share with sometimes with strangers or, 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 the, or the friendships that we've made on this app. So I appreciate everyone. Thank you so much. God bless. Stay safe.